What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory, where myself, Matt Lane, and Craig Stout all get together to talk about last week's game, look ahead to next week's opponents, and uh, to this week, Matt Lane is in the same room as me. I have actually made it to the lab this week, and Kent has trapped me down here. There is no doorknob to get out, but that's okay. We have a podcast to record. It's a little mungy. There's a couple screens, so I definitely see how he gets all this film work done down here. If you guys don't hear from me in a couple weeks, though, please send help. Every uh, every time that Maddie goes over two minutes on an answer, he has to stay in the lab for an extra week. <laughs> hey, as long as we have internet connection, I can get a lot of draft work nope, done no, down here, so we're good. No internet. I, I I think I think what we need to do here, Maddie. I now that we're in the room together, I should probably get like a sheet, like a wrap it up sheet. Like, just every time I want you to shut up. <laughs> That's a great idea, and I'll proceed to ignore it, but make direct eye contact with you while I do so. What if... Okay, here's another thought. What if we... If you, you watch the Academy Awards? No, I watch football. Okay. Well, meathead. Um... There's when someone's giving a speech and being, you know, very into they get the, Kanye. So I go and cut you off just like this. Kind of, although they they just they start playing the music. They start playing. We have to start getting playoff music every time. I'm just like, okay, here we go, Maddie. Wrap it up. We if got you pull out a violin and play me off. I'm completely okay <laughs> with that. We got a 50 minute pod here to do, buddy. We've got like 16 more questions because I always put way too many questions because y'all's are y'all's are just way too good. So um, we actually we do have a lot of questions this week maddie so we should be done filibustering yeah no we probably should actually this whole intro two minutes awesome wonderful great job um i do have a couple questions that got pulled out uh i decided to just do them in this segment so at hamster asks uh would it help to go no huddle hurry uh or no huddle or hurry up up against a team defending the way that the ravens were on sunday the Chiefs had actually done that a little bit at the end of the first half. They weren't going no huddle per se, but they were getting out of the huddle quickly and sprinting up to the line, and they were getting ready to either call the snap right away or make a couple adjustments but then go. So they are getting up to the line quick, and they actually came out of halftime trying to do the same thing because it really had the Ravens on their heels. Yeah. And in the third quarter, it didn't have the same success. The Ravens adjusted really well. They essentially just decided to counter it by bringing a ton of pressure because the Chiefs couldn't adjust their protection calls. They weren't always getting all their hot routes right so it worked to start and then once the Ravens adjusted the Chiefs kind of backed off of it so it's just finding that perfect balance between the two and I think they did that kind of late in the game I would like to see them go a little bit more tempo though like I do think it's a good change of pace every now and then and I I like giving Mahomes a little bit more autonomy in those situations too I think he's earned an opportunity to play with this kind of style I think some true no huddle would be absolutely phenomenal Uh, I like to hurry up out of the huddle into the line of scrimmage they still get lined up with over 20 seconds left but I would like it if they had two three plays ready it just went boom 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 but for some reason they haven't really pulled that out yet I don't know if it's something they're saving or what their deal with that is yet I do think one of the things is I I know Andy it seems like Andy loves to try to give Pat as much information as he can with shifts in motion so I do think that's part of it too is just helping him get a bunch of information pre-snap so um, yeah that, it would be some, it'd be something to maybe see you know maybe they throw it as a curveball down the road 
at Al Haig asks, uh, is this the first week that you felt that Patrick Mahomes could transcend the scheme and the talent around him? No Watkins, no Hunt. He was hit 15 times. What do you think, Maddie? I don't think it's the first time. I think the first time I felt that way was the very first Denver game. I don't think anything was working that game. It was really similar to this. He was under a ton of pressure. Nobody besides Kelsey, not even Hill really, that game was getting open consistently and he was still making everything work on his own. So I believe that's kind of when you first started to see it. What was great about this game though is you saw it down the stretch. You saw it in two different two-minute drives. You saw it when the game was on the line. So that was the great part to see is it doesn't matter when during the game this is happening. He's capable of throwing the entire team on his back and saying, hey, we're going to go win this right now and you can't stop us. I do think one thing, like when I when I think about this, is like, yeah, you're right. The Denver game was was a big step up as far as you know your trust in his ability to elevate the team around him. But I do think you're starting to see um, more consistency and more of that capability as time has gone on. I think this week was some level of elevation to that reality that you know. I, I do think Mahomes is just going to be able to carry teams, and you saw flashes of it against Denver. But now you're—I I do start to—I I have a new level of confidence in that capability, and I, I'm kind of stunned that we're at this point already. Well, and especially you consider like coming out of the game, I think everybody kind of thought that it was—it was a great game by Mahomes, but I don't think everybody completely appreciated the whole entirety of the game. Right. It was the special throws that he was seeing that you saw all over the highlights. But when you go back and watch it, there's just throws coming out of arm angles that aren't normal. They aren't realistic. He's making quick decisions. There's so much of his game that was better than just some of those highlight throws make it look. And I think that's the kind of thing that's going missed right now. So for sure. I think there's like one thing that I just kind of kept feeling during that game was like his ability, like Mahomes gets sped up and got sped up at times in games like with, with the Patriots. But then with this week, It felt like he would speed up to adjust in the pocket maybe and then have this calmness and this poise to settle himself back in and deliver a good ball with touch. I think the last couple weeks you've started to see a little bit more um, like the game has slowed down for him and even though he's, you know, creating in chaos, he's also calm enough to deliver some balls with some touch and some poise there too. Yeah, the team around him, Andy, and even Mahomes himself has done a good job of once he has a frantic rep where he runs from one side of the pocket to the other, throws the ball on the move, whether a good throw, bad throw, whatever it may be, they're doing a good job bringing him back, giving him an easy throw on the next play, a quick read, just something simple to kind of rein him back in. That goes out a little bit when you get into the two-minute drill and you just got to go, go, go. But during the meat of the game, they have done a good job of bringing it back when he's starting to get amped up a little bit. And you definitely saw him start off the game not quite as high as he normally is, which is, was great. I'm even talking like in, in the middle of a play. Like I remember the the touch, the, the throw to uh, Tyreek Hill, real subtle adjustment up into the pocket. He's got rushers going at him. And then he just still, he, he, he delivered a, a really good accurate ball with touch. You know, like it was like being able to even kind of change that pace and change that control in the middle of, you know working even in the middle of the play between chaos and 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 uh, and then being able to calmly deliver a throw like that too yeah he's always been comfortable on the football field in the pocket out of the pocket but you are starting to see it you're right even during a play he's just getting a better comfort level and just there's a greater appreciation for how well he controls himself and everything around him during a play he kind of picks it up on himself when he's starting to get a little too amped up yeah. he slows himself down and you can just see him start to process things just even a little bit quicker than he was before Joey Bosa is back for the Chargers and this defense is good what do you what do you think about this this challenge that they're going to be facing here this week 
The defense is good. They've thrown a few more wrinkles since the Chiefs last played them in Week One. Their co- they mix up their coverage quite a bit more now. It's still predicated a lot on keeping big plays from getting behind them. So underneath, there's still a lot of soft open spots and underneath zones. So the Chiefs will be able to attack it much the same way they did before. The big worry now is you now have the two big edge rushers, but whatever the Chargers get, they also lose. So since the Chiefs last played them, they lost probably their two best run defenders in Brandon Meebane and Denzel Perryman, and their run defense, especially up the middle, has been pretty bad without them. They're essentially playing two guys the size of safeties at linebacker, and they are struggling to fight through blocks. So they might have a little bit better pass rush, but their run defense should be a little less off than when the Chiefs last played them. And at the same time, the Chargers scheme doesn't ask for great corner play. It just asks for guys not to get beat deep and eventually force a mistake by the offense. And the last time the Chiefs didn't make that mistake. Let's, uh, how about we bring, uh, how about we bring Craig on? Yeah, I need somebody to come rescue me as you wildly flail around with your hands as you talk. I'm going to get poked in the <laughs> eye or something over here. And we're all together. Uh, Maddie is sitting in on Craig's segment. We were all together this week uh, enjoying some delicious peanut wings, weren't we? Yes, yes, we absolutely were. Matt, before we get started, knock twice if you're uncomfortable with the situation that you're in right now. Oh wow! Okay, that was a no, lot he's of... very uncomfortable. That's that's a problem, Kent. He's lost <laughs> knocking privileges now. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. what the, what was that? Oh yeah, okay, I got it. I got it. You're uh, you're muzzled. I, I it gets a good one, Maddie. Actually, I think the pod just, podcast just got better, Craig. <laughs> oh yeah, no, Craig. you're absolutely right. Never so, mind. Don't yeah. don't ever change that. Yeah, no, this is perfect. I think we've just figured it all out. Any, any takes on that, Maddie? Does anybody care to hear how many wings I ate while we are at the peanut? <laughs> I believe this was tweeted out, but I feel like I can talk about this for a good five minutes. You ate Go, thir- Matt, go. The over-under was set at nine and a half, and let's just say he well hit the over. We definitely hit the over. To be fair, it was 10, then a little bit of time went by, and we decided to get another three with some fries. I really don't know why it was that impressive. They were normal-sized wings. No, they weren't. The They're the store. peanut wings. They're pterodactyl wings. They are pterodactyl wings. Matt just is the... He eats the most food of anybody ever. Also, if we're going by the standards of eating and then waiting a while and then eating again, I've had like thousands of chicken wings. I mean, let's just... like that. This isn't that impressive. Um Matt or Craig, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you a couple of things uh, that we got from uh, from the mailbag, but you know, wanted to just probably just transfer them over into your segment. Uh, at binary phalanx asked, Daniel Sorensen started with Parker on Sunday. Did he do anything good at all? I I think the things that stood out the most for everybody regarding Dan were the missed interception at the end of the game that didn't end up coming back to bite him. Uh, the missed coverage on the touchdown there near the end of the game as well. That that definitely did hurt him. And then the personal foul penalty that happened a little earlier in the game. Now, those are really the three things that I think I can pick on from Dan at all. And that's that's something to say after the performances that he's had as of late. 
Dan looked a lot more like the guy that we knew from last year and the year before. He looked a little quicker. He was not reluctant to stick his nose in, make hits. He tried to set a physical tone early and against a team like the Ravens that are going to come out and try and run and run over you, somebody needed to do that. And he was really the guy that stepped up to try and set that tone early. And then as the game went along and the kind of and Bob started to make shifts and adjustments, Dan ended up playing a lot more deep in their two safety looks. And Dan is so much better playing deep than Ron Parker is. It was it was a little bit good to see that he was making a couple of small improvements. He's still got a long ways to go if he's going to be a major contributor and a good player. But little baby steps here this week. How mad are you going to be when Eric Berry runs onto the field with Ron Parker on Thursday? I, I've, I'm just now coming to accept it at this point. I'm not going to try and pretend like we're not going to get Ron Parker throughout the rest of this year. So I'm trying to figure out ways to uh, just just learn and grow and deal with it. Conversely, if Eric Berry steps onto the field and they go with two safety sets and Dan Sorensen standing out there next to him, I may sprint around my house naked. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a visual. Especially yeah. if you turn the Skype on with the video to start. <laughs> uh, one more question for you from the mailbag. At uh, CJ Holmes 96 asks, why was Tano Passignal used more than Breland Speaks in this game after going MIA for a while? Uh, are they switching them depending on the offense they face? Uh, K-Pass and Speaks played a lot of snaps together, just spelling both Houston and Ford. You know, the Chiefs asked their edge players to do a lot this week, a lot of interior run defense, a lot of running on the edges. They got a workout this week. So there were a lot of situations where D and Justin Houston would come off the field and both Breland and Tano would come back onto the field. And that was until it got to the end of the game and the Chiefs, during obvious passing situations, in overtime, there towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter, the Chiefs rotated in their NASCAR package, which is D4, Justin Houston, Tano Passigno, and then you know a couple defensive linemen and Anthony Hitchens behind him. That that worked for them, especially there at the end of the game in overtime. They they were able to generate pressure from that. So he just rushes the passer so much better than Breland speaks. I think we all agree with that. Those situations necessitated more pass rush, so that's why he saw a few more snaps. Uh, you've done some legwork on the most recent Chargers games. Obviously, we've seen uh, we've seen the uh, Chargers already once this season. What are your thoughts on the offense as it currently sit, uh, stands right now? Well, the offense really starts and begins with uh, with Keenan Allen, with Melvin Gordon out. They try and get him involved early. Lots of short passes, lots of crossers, lots of pivot routes off of those crossers to get first downs. And then replacing Melvin Gordon, if he can't go, he was limited practice today, but my goodness, if he's even 60%, I don't know how much they're going to try and jeopardize him and jeopardize a potential playoff spot if they miss him for a long period of time. In replacement for him, they've got two rookies, Justin Jackson and Detrez Newsom. Justin Jackson's a smaller guy out of Northwestern. He, he's more of an explosive back, agile back, good with jump cuts, but 
easy to bring down, whereas Newsom is more of a heavier, stockier back, going to run between the tackles a little bit more. We're going to see a lot more Jackson this week. Uh, and then from there on out, it's the, you know, um, the Antonio Gates show against Eric Berry, which is a problem potentially with both of those guys even getting up there in age and coming off of injuries that that might be two walkers running around the uh, middle of the field after each other i'm here for it though that, that, that just to see eric berry on the field would be a nice start um craig how about we just jump right into the mailbag we'll bring maddie in here right now let's just just start answering the rest of these questions that we have and we've got a lot of great ones um at blood meat that's a name that's that is quite a name <laughs> um at blood meat asks who is the chargers best offensive and defensive weapon how do we stop them matt give us the best defensive weapon well but i believe at this point in time it's got to go ahead and be joey boza even though he's not playing up to his normal stand at this point in time he's still a little bit better than melvin ingram and the combination of those two together is going to be very lethal so to stop Bosa and Ingram kind of pushing them both together at the same time. You're going to have to get a little bit more chips from tight ends and running backs out of the backfield, as well as hope that it's a good Mitchell Schwartz game, as well as Eric Fisher. The concern is going to be Eric Fisher working next to Jeff Allen, and they just don't seem to like they're clicking together great right now. Uh, Craig, yeah. how, how about your uh, – yeah, give me your best, uh, your best uh, offensive weapon. Offensive weapon, uh, it, it's Keenan. Like like I said, Keenan Allen is a top five receiver that when people talk about top five receivers, they don't include him enough. Uh, he's such a great rut runner. He can change on a dime. He will double move the Chiefs secondary to death. He did it in their first matchup. He's going to do it again. He's going to get yards. He's going to get his through Rivers. He's the only guy that can really keep them in the game if Gordon's out. But even then, I still think that uh, that they'll be a little too much for him. At Roller Brawler asks, thoughts on Reed not trying to get five to ten more yards or so on for an easy field goal attempt at the end of regulation. I had a problem with it as well. I didn't really like the time management at the end. I would have liked to see them try to generate another play uh, before you know they they. I think they had two timeouts left at the end of the regulation, right? Yeah, no, they definitely did. I'm with you. It was not something that I would have done. The two quick halfback dives right up the middle, getting absolutely no yards with no attempt to get yards out of it i kind of think is an old school way of football that's not what you want to see anymore with the amount of kicking games it's been an issue i wouldn't i don't even know if i would have hated the play call that much i mean it's, it's probably not like your best bet but just running another play in general would have been nice for me like they could have ran that i think it was a third down they could have run the run the one more play and then kick the field goal but they because they, they took it all the way down to what four seconds anyway so that if, if a, there's a bad snap they don't get that luxury of 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 kicking on third down right i mean like i, I did not like that move there was a yeah, couple and, questionable sorry, and they're Craig. playing scared they didn't play scared like at all all game long and then right there at the end they kind of turtled up a little bit and forced a longer field goal that was in the middle of the field rather than picking a hash for butker even uh at fraternity at law great twitter handle does travis kelsey make that tackle on Kenyon drake 
So along with being a better tight end than Rob Gronkowski at this moment in time, uh, I think we can go ahead and write it in stone that he is 100% a better safety than <laughs> Rob Gronkowski without ever seeing him attempt to snap at safety. Also, another quick little fun Travis Kelsey thing. He's on pace to break Rob Gronkowski's receiving yards record for the season for a tight end, and he may not even keep the record as George Kittle is coming on hot right on his heels. That would be crazy to see two players get that in one season. Insane. And not only would Travis Kelsey have made that tackle, Travis Kelsey might have made that tackle before Ron Parker did too. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, there's no doubt about that one um at aw riley my guy andrew riley uh how much of the defensive struggles are the result of personnel versus scheme also what are the biggest differences in the inside linebacker play compared to the last several years with how anthony hitchens and reggie raglan are being used I think we can safely say at this point that even though the personnel hasn't been good, Reggie Ragland struggled to wrap up this week. Anthony Hitchens played a lot better than he has throughout the season. I actually thought that this was his best game, but neither one of those guys looks like the player that they have in the past. Even Reggie Ragland in this same system at the end of last year looks hesitant, looks slow. It may be a knee injury, but I do think that there's probably something going on. I don't know what it is, but I think that they're being told maybe to do a little bit extra on top of what Reggie had been asked to do before. I don't know if that's just because they're trying to tailor a different scheme to their skill sets or they're just trying to square peg into a round hole here, but there's definitely something else going on. Well, it's a weird thing, specifically with the linebackers. The entire defense is pretty much centered around speed and aggression, not playing passively or anything like that. And then all of a sudden you have these two strong side type inside linebackers that are thumping in the blockers and trying to blow up run plays rather than covering a lot of ground, sideline to sideline, and just playing forward and downhill. Whether it's a scheme thing or just their physical limitations, they just seem like an outlier compared to the rest of the defense just in terms of how it looks on paper. And I fully agree. Our linebackers seem like they're trying to read something that may or may not be there or easy to read. I don't know what it is at this point in time, but both guys are just kind of hesitating, looking like they're unsure of exactly where they're supposed to be. So whether it's the defensive lines missing some responsibilities or they just have too much dumped on them being Hitchens' first year in the scheme and then Raglan learning a new system and then changing again, whatever it may be, they just look like they're slow to process and then slow to react and attack just because that's the kind of player they are physically. Right. There does look like there's a difference. Like it, it does seem like there is something different about what is going on this year compared to what we've seen from them in the past at Jacob Morley, a uh, very handsome guy, probably like the second, if there, if there was some draft podcast out there, he's probably the second most handsome person on that podcast. He'd be the guess. fifth on this podcast. Oh, Oh, okay. Wow. There's only wow. four of us, but do the math, Jake. Okay. Uh, I, Okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, When will Patrick Mahomes start playing games blindfolded? Well, I mean, he doesn't need his vision, apparently, right? I mean, so, like, he could probably do it right now. Am I right? That was a bad attempt at a joke. But (laughs) that's every joke I tell, Maddie. So, Jake, here's the truth. 
his visor on his helmet right now actually is only a one-way visor. He actually can't see out of it as is. So he's been under that Mr. Miyagi training this entire offseason. He's already there at this point in time. So Wait, I'm breaking the news now. Mahomes doesn't wear a visor. Let it be. <laughs> you just can't see the reflection, Kent. You don't you don't understand. And if you believe Titans fans, Marcus Mariota plays every game blindfolded. If you go through <laughs> and look for threads about him throwing quote unquote no look passes. I think that yeah. was uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Ryan no. Fitzp- he just well, he just plays like he's blind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um at Darren D. Piggott asks, should we have signed Bashad Breland? If he was gonna come here for the price that we were offering him, sure. Do we should we have paid him more money? I absolutely don't think so. As Craig said, there's been a couple struggles with Skandrick down the stretch here as his legs seem to be getting heavy with his age and stuff like that. But it's not like Steven Nelson and especially Kendall Fuller now have been a weakness. The big issue with the Chiefs defense has not been cornerback play. Yeah, you can pick and choose a couple plays from probably every game and say, hey, look, this isn't a great cornerback right here, and I'm not disagreeing. But the gap from what we have to what Bashad Breland's been this year isn't that impressive or that big. I don't think it moves the needle for the defense hardly at all. Yeah, full agree with that. Uh, and by reports from what uh, Carrington Harrison over at 610 heard, we were talking about maybe a one-year deal in the realm of $7 million. Bashad Breland is not worth that to have the small amount of potential upgrade that we would have here at the end of the year over a guy like Skandrick, who, again, was really poor this week. Steven Nelson also had himself an off game, but Kendall Fuller continues to look good. I think that this Chiefs corner group wouldn't have been significantly improved. Now, is that small amount of improvement the difference between going one step further in the playoffs? Get back with me then, and maybe maybe I'll have changed my tune. Yeah, I mean, the money that they could have spent on Bashad Breeland is going to get carried over into next season. So, you know, that they're going to have that cap space and a little more cap flexibility next year. So, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it moves the needle enough to spend that much money. Although, one thing some people were suggesting with Bashad Breeland in Green Bay is that he might move to safety. So, they're going to move him and they're going to move Josh Jackson to safety at the same time? I, I don't know. That's what they talked about. Like That's what initially some people thought that they might be moving Bashad Breeland to safety. So, uh, it's all right. They have Jair Alexander. They will be all right at cornerback. He can play all three positions at the same time, I'm pretty sure. Man, I would love to have I would love to have Josh Jackson and Jair Alexander. I'm so sad. Uh, at Tamindus79 asks, Andy was willing to move on from Alex and other players, but might be loyal to a fault with coaches. It's a great point. What do you think is the percent chance that they move on from Robert J. Sutton? Yeah, I don't think that there's a might with his loyalty to coaches. He tends to run those guys into the ground for better or for worse. Uh, He tends to develop young guys, get them jobs quickly, but those guys that don't seem to get those other offers and things like that just tend to stay on Andy's staff for the, the majority of his tenure wherever he is. As far as the percentage of where it's going, if I'm using my heart, I'm saying... 75 to 80 percent just based on his inability to get the most out of players motivate players justin houston said this week that it took justin hamilton coming up to him on the sideline and challenging him 
to go out and make a play. There's lots of things that I have a problem with that statement, but one of them is that the coaching staff isn't able to motivate Justin Houston to go out and make that play. But if I'm using my head, Andy just doesn't move on from guys that often. It's probably closer to maybe a 25 or 30% chance. I, uh, I'm i going to cut jump in here. I am. I, I got a sidebar. I'm so frustrated with that Justin Houston quote. You have no earthly idea how upset. I think I might have even sent it to you guys in the DMs yesterday. Like, like honestly, it takes a guy that has not been active the entire season for you to be motivated to play in a game where your team needs you. Like that, that apathy, and you can tell half the games that you watch this season the apathy that Justin Houston shows on the field like I, it's 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 really fun when he tries and I know he did some good things this week but do things do good things every week do good and, things you are paid a lot of money to give good effort and you only earn that half the time half the time seems You're, like a stretch oh I am just I'm sorry like that, that in, just in the comments for in the comments for Arrowhead Pride, it was suggested that maybe Justin Houston's one of those guys that just needs to be challenged to live up to his potential. You know, try and try and be a one-ups man. I wish I had the thread open to give credit to whoever it was that suggested that. That's not a bad idea there. But then again, why is it taking somebody like that, somebody like Justin Hamilton, a guy, a journeyman defensive lineman having to come in and say to Justin Houston, hey, how about you try hard on this play? Somebody needs to figure out how to get the most out of him. He's the highest paid player on the team and he's just not able to play like it. So you either have to coach that out of him or you need to have him figure out a way to be a more higher producing, higher effort player. Well, my issue with that then becomes if we're taking his word at face value, he said during practice he has this kind of level of intensity and he's this leader and trying hard. And Justin Hamilton is over here asking him to play like he practices. Why are you not playing like that already? Why is he already practicing harder than he's trying out there in a game that actually matters? It's just a really weird situation and it's 100% visible on the field almost every snap or every drive. And for Unless whatever it's reason, a primetime game. But even then, he still only shows up for parts of it. You'll see he'll have some good snaps, then you'll have snaps that aren't even bad, just snaps where he just clearly isn't trying his hardest. You compare that to D. Ford, who I still think is better this year, even than Justin Houston's been at his best. But D. Ford's trying on every single play. Even if he gets run around the edge and does absolutely nothing, look how many plays D. Ford's come from behind where he's run 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage, come back up from behind the quarterback, and still hit them because he's not giving up. He's giving 100% every single play. And I know everyone's going to chalk that up to a contract year and everything, but he's trying over and over again. Justin Houston needs Justin Hamilton, of all people, to come up to him and say, hey man, how about you actually give a hoot this game and try to do something rather than hang out on the edge trying to contain Lamar Jackson? It's just not a good look for him. And I think people enjoyed the quote originally, but now they're like, wait a second, this doesn't sound right and this isn't the way it should be. And I agree. It should be up to Bob Sutton or Mike Smith, as much as I love them, somebody's got to be able to get into Justin Houston's face and get him motivated before Justin Hamilton, who, by the way, is nicknamed Juicy, which is phenomenal, to come up to him and get him going for the game. 
Yeah, there's. I, I I'm kind of mad that you even went that direction, Gregory. And uh, Fine. well, my final tag on this: What did Justin think was going to come out of that? Was, I I understand maybe he's given Hamilton, you know, given Juicy a little bit of props there for helping him out in that situation. But what, did it just not kind of cross his face or cross his mind how that was going to come off and how that was going to sound? I think the up and down effort that you've seen is all you need to know. He doesn't care. So, like, whatever. he's His paycheck's the same thing. When I don't know if he understood how bad it was going to make him look. Like, I think he's looking at it as somebody told me I need to take over. I went out and did it. Like, I fulfilled their request, so look at me. And I don't know if he's being selfish about it like that or not. But, like, deep down, that's kind of the thing. Like, he was challenged. He went out and accomplished the challenge and helped the Chiefs win the game. So he's feeling really good about it. But the quote just comes out wrong when you think about it even more. And then you look at his play throughout that game or other weeks. It's just a really bad look. I'm going to quickly answer this question, though. Bob Sutton, the chances we move on from 67%, 1% for every birthday he's had. Woo. And uh, I mean, and also all that being said, shout out to Justin Houston for the big plays, though. Like that was dope. Yeah, no, don't, no, it was don't fantastic. That was awesome. Yeah. But come on, let let's give the give the effort, please. Just 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 play hard, please, all the time, not just some of the time. At G4D4MS, what goes on in in a locker at half, locker room at halftime? Are there certain coaches who go in early to prepare for the halftime messages? How do the topics they cover comes <laughs> come throughout the uh, the first half? Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that teams do this. I you, you got to know that like all these coaches, all like especially the ones up in the booths, they are making a lot of notes in preparation for that conversation at halftime, getting ready for some of those adjustments. Um, the locker rooms I I've been in, you know, the coaches would have a quick you know kind of meet up, you know, trying to recap and and finalize just a couple major talking points they needed to discuss. And then what we would do is we would have all the position coaches go and they, all the position coaches would talk to the individual positions, go over anything that they think they need to be discussing. And then the uh, both sides of the balls would meet together. Coordinators would would make some adjustments, talk about some of the things that they're planning on doing. Uh, as, when I was a, as a quarterback, what what my coach would do with our with our with our quarterbacks would basically. So, you know, he'd ask them five or six plays he's got in mind to, to kind of open the second half, whether they like him, whether they don't, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's a lot of it's going to be reading the room. You're going to have these meetings between the positional groups and then the whole units together. Coaches are going to meet before all that starts. But a big thing that you're going to have in there is you just got to read the room as a coach. Are the players firing each other up? You're not going to try to cut off anybody when they're already having a conversation. Or is the conversation getting too heated between a defensive lineman and a safety that are blaming each other for the faults? Do you need to break it up? Do you need to let them play it out? So that's kind of a big coaching thing that doesn't get thought about a whole lot is what they let the players do within themselves themselves then once the coaching starts taking over for other position groups you're going to get coaches that are going to ask guys what's working what's not working what did we see in preparation and are you able to see it on the field pre-snap are you able to attack it pre-snap and everything or are they doing something completely different than what you studied all week leading up to it what can we do differently it's just a lot of feedback coming in from the players the coach obviously has his idea of what's going on too and honestly his opinion is going to overrule the players but a good coach is going to get feedback 
feedback from the players during the process, and they're just going to adjust the big things that they see. Little minute details they might touch on at halftime or back over on the sideline, but it's just going to be anything major giving them hard problems throughout the game that's going to get changed in the halftime. Yeah, and they're going to get informed by their quality control coaches and their assistants. They're guys that are actually paid to do that and to keep an eye on certain things, look for tendencies, try and pick up on things throughout the first half. Maybe something happened that uh, the opposition was able to find success on a play. You know, you can talk to guys in the locker room and say, well, no, that's, you know, they we've never seen that on film before. We're going to keep an eye on it going forward. If we start seeing it, we'll make an adjustment. Might just be a one-off sort of thing. But leaning on the coaches as well as the players to find out what's going on there. At KJH3172 asks, is uh, Chris Jones, I have mixed feelings about paying him. Great splash plays, but he is right in the middle of an atrocious run defense. What are your thoughts? I, too, have mixed feelings about Chris Jones. I don't know if I pay him like a top three interior defensive lineman or the top interior defensive lineman. Uh, I know he's in the middle of this rough run defense, but it is certainly not his fault. You have to understand that most plays he's one gapping and the only times he's not is when he's losing that attempt at the gap. Then he turns into a two gapper playing into the leverage that he has. So very rarely is Chris Jones not taking this gap. He's been phenomenal this year, both against the run and the pass. But you'll see him fly out of what looks to be his run gap, but that's not his job. His job on that play is to take an A gap or a B gap, and if he takes it and the run doesn't go there, it's not realistic to expect him to make that play or realistic to expect him not to take a gap that he's fully capable of taking as long as it's within his duties just so he can play two gaps and take on a blocker. So I have no qualms with his run defense. I think at the beginning of the year, you could find a couple plays where he was getting too high and getting pushed off the ball more than you'd like. But down the stretch here, he's just been phenomenal, both as a run and a pass defender. Going into this year, I was unsure if I'd pay him this offseason. I want to see him mature a little bit more. Just not that I have a problem with him having fun. I just want to see him be a little bit more of a leader, be a little bit more businesslike. And again, not taking away the fun part, just be a little bit more focused on being great. And I really think he's been that this year. He's talked a lot about maturing, trying to get more money because he has his family that he wants to take care of now. He's showed up more in shape, and I think it shows on the field. Not only does he look better, but he's playing more snaps, looking fresher after he's played three, four, five plays in a row. So I have no issues with paying him. It's just a matter of how much do you want to pay him? How good do you think he's been so far? I was about to play the playoff music. I was getting very close. That was like a, <laughs> that was, I mean, that was impressive, honestly. Chris does so much for this defensive front that you can't, you can't blame him for the run defense. I know we harp on the inside linebackers a lot because of their hesitance. It's because it's been a thing all year long. They have been a problem all year long. They, they are one of the root causes of this run defense, whereas Chris Jones is not. As a matter of fact, a fair number of the plays on Sunday that the Baltimore Ravens were moving the ball well on the ground, specifically there in quarter one and in quarter three, Chris Jones wasn't in the game. He was getting a breather because he does so much work getting upfield, being so physical and having to knife through. He runs more than all of those other defensive linemen. He gets worn out a little bit easier. Maybe that's a conditioning thing that he can work on going forward, but he's not always in the game if you look at his snap counts he's he's not even remotely close to 100 percent of the snaps and to have the sort of effect that he has on the front 
in those limited snaps. They're keeping him healthy. They're keeping him fresh enough. Once we get to the playoffs here, we might see a little bit more. Maybe the run defense improves because you're going to have more of Chris Jones doing damage to poor offensive linemen up front and good offensive linemen up front. And his disruption uh, just in in the passing game is so valuable. Even if he wasn't like, even if he was a bad run defender, the disruption he's providing is is special and he still deserves a, a, a big paycheck. I'm not really that worried about him as far as as far as the contract although I am probably kicking that contract down the road I, I do think that you you let him play next year out and you might tag him and then make the decision to to sign him or you know give him an extension we'll see from there but um, there's a lot of different angles I do think Tyree kills the one that winds up getting paid before he does okay here's a here's an interesting one I don't, <laughs> one. I don't even know why I put this in here at a pits 14 asks if Kent's hair was one of Patrick Mahomes' throws from this regular season. Which throw would it be? So I'm going to kind of mess with Craig here because I'm going to mention a lot of throws. So (laughs) the obvious answer is the flow to this fourth and nine completion to Tyree Kill. Mahomes is rolling right. Nice tight spin back to the left, just like Ken's hair that I'm looking at right now. But nope. That's not it. We could go back to the beautiful no-look pass that everyone's seen, but I mean that makes no sense because who doesn't want to look at Ken's hair? So no look, Ken's hair, no, that doesn't compute. It's the left-handed throw against Denver, 100%. It's something you've never seen before. You've never seen hair like Ken's until you've seen it in real life. You've never seen someone take a left-handed throw and complete it and look decent. Doing it. Like Everybody saw Jake Plummer attempt it, but that doesn't count. That's like if I tried to put Ken's hair on, it just wouldn't work. So this beautiful left-handed throw is Ken's hair. It just flows perfectly. You replay it three, four times before you know what's actually going on. And the crazy part, being in Ken's bathroom, just a little bit before this there's so much hair product in the medicine cabinet it's insane <laughs> but i'm not even gonna say that's a problem <laughs> i love that a, that's on the podcast for posterity i love went, it i love it you just went a minute and a half on comparing my hair to a throw <laughs> See, the the real answer here is it hasn't happened yet. It's going to be when Bosa tries to bring him down this week and he actually throws one behind his back while not looking and completes it. That will be the Kent's hair of throws. I'm going to go with the throw to Travis Kelsey in the, red, in the end zone against the Browns because it's overrated. <laughs> no. Like, no. I, Don't I, you do that. Well, we know which of the three just lost the uh, member vote, so... <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I you guys... As he runs his fingers through the locks. <laughs> oh, moving on. At Tile Artisan. <laughs> Gosh, that was ridiculous. I I'm glad I put it in. I'm glad I put it in the show, but I mean, okay. I I gotta get myself together here. That was ridiculous. At Tile Artisan asks Remember that year long, uh, not long ago, when the Chiefs threw zero touchdowns to a wide receiver all season? Just thought we could all kick around some ideas for commissioning a plaque and discussing what it should look like. That's a tough one. Um, what should uh, Dwayne Bow? It's going to be an aging Dwayne Bow, probably in a Cleveland Browns uniform, just because he was really, really bad with the Browns. But. 
instead of just having Dwayne Bow, I think you need to have like a different body part from every receiver that played on that team. So you can have like a really short Donnie Avery arm and <laughs> whatever else. Oh, maybe some junior Hemingway hair coming out of the back and anybody else that saw snaps can just make this put together robotic looking player that caught zero touchdowns. Although, or we could just make it a picture of Alex Smith either way. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, it it's it's not that. It's AJ Jenkins stepping out of bounds while having nothing but green grass right in front of him to end that ridiculous stat and still stepping out of bounds with nobody around him. I think the answer is like is just the there's like uh there's just a plaque on the ground and nothing. There's no there's no <laughs> because they didn't get one. They just it's just a plaque. Commem- commemorating the the existence of the feudal stat, but just no trophy because they didn't score any touchdowns. That's does that's, it just say this is a plaque? Period. Yes. On it. That, okay. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> Should there be one plaque for every time it was mentioned on a broadcast the year after that? We we can't afford that many plaques. <laughs> that would be a lot of plaques. Also, uh, runner up didn't like Dwayne Bow get to like the one inch yard line. Like didn't like didn't did he, he just get like didn't I, like I thought like the last game of the year he got did he either stop get stopped short of the goal line or did he fumble at the goal line? That sounds like the perfect Dwayne Bow Chiefs career ending moment of all time. If that's what did happen, that might have been his last game. That it was twenty fourteen. That might have been his last game. Yeah, oh if he goodness. got stopped very close to a touchdown in the season where we had no touchdowns, that would be the perfect way for him to end his career in Kansas City where he's been vastly overrated and underrated and maligned the entire time. Uh, okay, I have one more. I, I need to add one more question because at Mr. C. David, a guy that you guys hung out with this weekend at Arrowhead, I believe, had a question. Yeah. Uh, you, But you guys did hang out with him, right? Yes, we yeah, did. Yeah, actually. Go ahead. Yeah, he uh, uh, he showed up. We talked beforehand a little bit, and he brought some uh, beer along to trade with me, and I brought some beer along, and so we got to uh, swap beers. I had one of the fantastic beers from Vermont tonight, so shout out to him. Really cool what was dude. that? What, what was that beer? It was a Treehouse Haze Double IPA. It was fantastic. What What is that exactly? It's what is it's that? a New England it's a New England IPA. Uh Treehouse is a very very limited distributor uh brewery up in uh Vermont that's well known for the beers that they make, Northeast IPAs especially. Shout out to him. He always asks a bunch of great questions and I'm glad you guys got to meet up with him. I was stuck at Intercom. It was uh it was not as fun as as much fun as you guys were having. I had but to hang out with Pete Sweeney. Proof that it was not as much fun as we were having as you <laughs> awkwardly squatted in the corner of a recording studio watching the Chiefs game from some kind of weird yoga pose. I was stretching and Mike While Wicket squatting. got me Mike got me in a a bad <laughs> situation. I'll it, tweet it out later, don't worry guys. No, let's yeah, not. Yeah, Matt'll take care of it. Anyways, uh mailbag question here um I, i'm gonna take this one assuming uh cameron irving doesn't play how does uh jeff allen at left guard affect the chief offense so 
the communication between Fisher and Jeff Allen was definitely pretty poor in this game. The Ravens were attacking them consistently with stunts, twists. They were sending both guys into the same B-gap. They were doing anything they could to just throw off the communication between the two and forcing Jeff Allen to read blitzers, read what was happening in front of him. And he really wasn't doing a very good job. You could see that Eric Fisher was starting to try to help him a little bit more towards the end of the game, and it wasn't going great for him trying to recover to the outside either. So if he's in there going forward, having the week of practice will be helpful. I don't know what position in practice Jeff Allen had got most of his reps at, but a whole nother week, or I guess half of a week here, for a guy that's been a veteran, he should be able to step in and be almost serviceable. The big thing you're losing out on is a lot of athleticism from Cam Irving, and I do really wonder if Irving's going to be out for a while, if going forward you don't see a push to get LDT back and maybe even get Andrew Wiley back over there at left guard if possible, just because I think he fits a lot better with the current Chiefs offensive line. Got to keep in mind, Jeff Allen's like the Chiefs' eighth offensive lineman if everyone's healthy at best. (laughs) Hey, Craig, he's he's got three questions here, so I'm going to ask you this one. Um, Okay. Who are the safeties that get snaps once Eric Berry gets on the field? Well, Eric Berry and Good. well, maybe we'll see. And <laughs> worse than what we probably seen. Ron Parker. Uh, what we'll see though. We the Chiefs might lean a little harder on their two-three dime in some shorter uh, yardage situations. They tend to lean on it on second and third downs with like seven or eight plus, depending on the personnel that the offense trots out there but we might see them lean a little harder on that a little closer to how they did last year okay so three safety looks is it ron dan and eric correct yeah gross in the Uh, background you hear dying choo-choo fade off into the distance i know just slow quiet train we're running out of coal uh, I got one question here for him. <laughs> that, um, that was that was good silence for that that yeah, terrible joke again. I know. I, I I'm on I'm on brand tonight. Um, I'll answer <laughs> this question: How much uh, do backup running backs really matter in a game versus the Chargers with their passing attack? Actually, Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon had 189 yards in the passing game week one against the. Uh, Chiefs. So um, those two guys made a big impact. I'm sure Justin Jackson might be able to do a little bit of what those guys were. I mean, not to the same level. Those guys are pretty good, but uh, I feel like Justin Jackson might be able to pick up a little bit of the slack, but I do think that this matters. The loss of Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler is a big deal for uh, for this team. Um, One more question, guys. And I I thought this was a really interesting one, a great one to end on. At K Gumminger asks, how many games would the Chiefs have lost this year if all else is equal if Alex Smith was the quarterback instead of Patrick Mahomes? Um, so I don't think they come back against Denver. Um, I don't think that they win. They may not keep up against the Steelers. Definitely not. Um, they probably still beat the Jags. I would say let's. I'll just. I'm not going to go line by line because that's boring. And if you're already listening to that, maybe you are interested enough to hear us all list all the games again. But I'd say the Chiefs are probably sitting at seven and six right now, six and seven somewhere in that range. Is that fair? I'll go seven and six. Alex doesn't have the defense that he'd had in previous years. Obviously, they play a completely different brand of football. The defense would look better because they wouldn't be on the field 
as much. But like you said, we've played some high-powered offenses that have put up a lot of points. They'd still be able to do that against this defense, even in those limited snaps. So, yeah, I think 7-6 and six is fair. Yeah, I'm with you. The one game I actually think is a little bit of a wild card here. I'm not sure the Chiefs beat the Jags with Alex Smith. Just the simple fact that I do think the Jags were pressing once they got on their heels on defense a little bit. That's fair. With Alex, and that's the hard part about this is all these teams are going to play a little bit different. Offenses know when they play the Chiefs, they got to score points. So they try new things. They try to be better than what they really are. So it's kind of hard to predict it out. But just that's the game in particular I look at where the offense played well against the Jaguars defense, but they didn't dominate them the entire time so having a little bit less points and a little bit less dynamic ability from the offense a Jaguars offense that's more willing to just run the ball and control the clock rather than trying to hit big plays I could see a way where they end up beating the Chiefs in that game but besides that the other games we already talked about the Steelers I actually think the Chiefs lose both Broncos games just with the current defense they have and Alex Smith and I don't think there's a way they beat the Ravens either that's fair I think that's fair Um, and I, I agree. Obviously, the question was all things equal, but uh, the Chiefs would have had to make some big decisions. The roster would be worse if Alex Smith was on this roster because um, that's a big cap hit that you would have, I think it would have been like 19, 17, 18 million dollars. So, no Sam Watkins, no Anthony Hitchens, probably. Well, that that doesn't matter, but um, it, it would be it, it, all things Best game of the equal. year. Best the, game of the year. They wouldn't have had the support around Alex Smith this year if. Um, if he had stuck around that's it for the show uh thanks uh thank you guys so much for listening thanks to matt lane for being here in person in the flesh with me that was fun it was good to see him it's good to see you too uh this weekend craig hey yeah it was great seeing everybody it was great to hang out with everybody had a ton of fun drank some beers ate some wings watched some football what's better than that no, we had a great time. It was a good time. I'll have to let everybody know next time I'm back in town. And if we go to a Chiefs game again, I expect some of our listeners to show up more when we tailgate. I want to get a little bit bigger show out than what we had. Turn it into we a only, party. Yeah, we only found about four or five other people out there. So we're going to shout it out a little earlier next time we go to a game. But anybody that's listening to this, be on the lookout for that. Because if we go to games, we want to meet you guys and hang out before we go into the game a little bit and have some fun. All right, guys, that is it for this week. We will talk to you after hopefully the Chiefs have clinched the AFC West and potentially a one seed. Okay, Kent, you can let Matt out of the basement now. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that for some reason or another, seems smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.